So we're going to continue in the Hebrew series. Yeah, the Jesus is Better series. How's Kelly been doing through this series? Okay? Nah, I'm sure he's been doing all right. I, I thought that Kelly uh, felt sorry for me, so that's why he's giving me an opportunity to preach, you know? He's like, oh man, Kevin, he doesn't get as many opportunities to preach anymore. He's not leading Southlands Whittier. So let's give him a slot on Sunday. And then I quickly realized that that wasn't the case once I read this passage, that he didn't feel sorry for me. Uh, in the beginning of chapter five, we'll get back to Kelly in a minute. In the beginning of chapter five, uh, the writer to Hebrews is, is writing about how Jesus is the great high priest, that he's greater than the Old Testament priest, and he's greater than this dude named Melchizedek. Did Kelly preach on that last week? Yeah, and so, so he, he mentions this guy named Melchizedek, and he'll mention him again at the end of chapter six and again in chapter seven. But I think, like, I'm thinking to myself, what is happening now with the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6? He, he mentions this guy, Melchizedek, and then he just takes a sharp turn. He just puts it on pause. And I'm like, man, was he, like, writing to the, to the Hebrews and then ended up putting his, his pen down, stopped scribing, went to bed, had a bad dream about these Jewish Christians, and said, no, I need to warn them of some things. Before I could talk about, continue talking about Melchizedek, let me just push pause and warn them about a few things. And that's what it seems like is happening here at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. He, I, maybe he ate a bad burrito or something before he went to bed and had this crazy dream. So the writer here slams on the brake and now starts warning them about immaturity, starts warning them about falling away, re-crucifying Jesus Christ all over again. Um, it, he just starts going on this tangent. So this is what happened as I started reading this passage. I realized that Kelly wasn't feeling sorry for me. He was punishing me. That's what he's doing. He's punishing me. Though this isn't a privilege. No, this is a privilege. But Kelly's like, man, he probably went to Jeff and is like, Jeff, you want to preach this passage? Nope. Mike, you want to preach this passage? No thanks. Kelly's like, Kevin. Let's call on Kevin. You guys remember that commercial, uh, Mikey? Hey, Mikey, he likes it, you know? Hey, give it to Kevin. He'll do it. He, he'll, he'll jump all over it. So... So I stand here getting ready to preach to you the end of Hebrews 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 as we look to move on to maturity. That's the title of my message today. Uh, the overarching theme of what I'm going to um, preach to you today is, is moving on to maturity. Now, if we go through this passage, and you've probably went through this passage in your own reading before, you can get caught up in some of the details, and I, I feel like I'm going to have to get a little bit teachy today in order to do this passage justice, so you're going to have to bear with me through the teaching moments, and hopefully, though, I could preach and bring life uh, to this passage. Amen? All right. So this is what I want to do. I want to encourage you guys to move forward in maturity, and so we're just going to read uh, the beginning or the end of Hebrews 5. And uh, let me make a few comments. I'm going to read just in, in chunks of Scripture because I feel like if I read from Hebrews 5.11 all the way to Hebrews 6.12, you would get caught up on some of the things in Hebrews 6, and you wouldn't listen to me on what I'm going to preach out of in Hebrews 5. So I'm just going to read a, a portion of Scripture, make a point, and then move on, okay? So I'm not going to read the whole thing at once. We're just going to start with Hebrews 5, verse 11 through 14. I read out of a version called the CSB. Um, I know you guys probably are ESV people, so just please just forgive me. <laughs> forgive me now. Uh, but the CSB version should be up on the screen. Here we go. Hebrews 5, verse 11. 
We have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain, since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teaching, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. This is the word of the Lord. So let's begin by answering the question, what does the writer of Hebrews mean when he says, we have a great deal to say about this and it is difficult to explain? So what does he have a great deal to say about? He has a great deal to say about Melchizedek, that Old Testament priest. And basically what he's saying is, I have a great deal to say about this, but you know what? You're not mature enough to understand it. And that's why he pauses here and takes this sharp turn. Because like I said, he'll get back to Melchizedek, but he says, you're just too, too lazy to understand. You won't understand it. Why? You're still on milk. You should be on solid food. You should be teaching, but you still have to be taught. He says, you can't understand these deep truths of God at this time. The only way that you can understand is moving from milk to solid food. So the first way that we move on to maturity is that we have a deep desire to move from milk to solid food. We have a deep desire to move from milk to solid food. Have you ever been around kids and young kids, or actually older kids, who you just say to yourself, man, these kids should be a little bit more mature than they really are. For example, have you ever been like around a kid and maybe like an eight-year-old is still sucking on the binky? And you're just like, really? Or maybe around, you know, a kid 12, 13 years old and they, they had a, a blankie or a night-night that they had and now it's down to a little patch that they carry with them and rub, but you're just like, man, you're a little too old for that. Or, I mean, I think we've all seen this, and let me tiptoe around this, is, is babies who, or toddlers who are still being nursed, and they're just way too old to be nursed. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, yes, Mike says yes. And you would probably say to yourself or your spouse, you're like, man, aren't they too old for that? I mean, I don't know if you would. I, maybe I'm just judgmental. I don't know. But I'm like, man, I think they should be a, a, a little bit more mature than that. I think they should be a little bit further on in life. But they're still immature. They're still sucking on the binky or carrying the blanket or still nursing. They should be much further along. Why? Because they should, if they had younger siblings, they should be teaching their siblings. No, no, you move on. You get away from the binky. You get away from the nighty. You move on to solid food. And that's basically what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Jewish Christians, is he's saying, you're still on milk, but you should be on solid food. Get off the binky. Throw away the blankie. Move to the steak, my friends. Rare, right? Let's get that right. Yeah, let's get that right. Yeah, tell it, Pat. Preach it. He's saying that they should actually be teaching by now. <laughs> Not being taught but actually they should be the ones teaching. They should be the ones doing the discipling. But you know what? They're getting caught up. They're too lazy to understand. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty brutal to say, isn't it? That you've just become lazy in your understanding, that you've remained on milk, and because of that, you're spiritually immature. 
So growth is incredibly important, not only for these Jewish Christians, but growth is important for us as, as believers as well. We have to grow in the faith. We cannot become stagnant. We cannot just be in a place where we're like, okay, we understand the foundations, now that's it. Let's just stop there. I'm saved, I'm gonna slide into heaven. That's all I need. No, we need to continue to grow. We need to continue to move from milk to solid food. We have to be examples to those within our congregation, within our spheres of influence. We need to be examples to those who are spiritually immature. We need to be teaching and we need to be discipling. We need to move on in our faith. But how do we become stagnant? How do we become spiritually immature? First thing is, I think we stop having a deep desire to learn and understand. We just, we're like, oh man, I've read this before. I've read the word of God. I've sat under the preached word. I've done all that before. I just don't have a desire to learn. I know about Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. I know about the eternal truths of Jesus and where I'm going for eternity. I just don't have a desire to learn anymore. And that's what it says here in verse 11. You have become lazy, to un- too lazy to understand. The word used here for lazy is the word dull. The ESV says you've become dull in your hearing. And it's also the word sluggish and lethargic. You've just become sluggish in your understanding. You've become lethargic in your understanding. And in order to become sluggish and lethargic and too lazy to understand, that's a choice you make. (laughs) Can I say that again? You choose to be lazy to understand. You choose to be lethargic in your understanding. You choose to become stagnant. And listen, this is just the truth. It's a choice you make. The Spirit will never make you become stagnant, lazy, or lethargic. It's a choice you make in your flesh. And even though that's a hard truth to, to maybe grasp and digest right now, I just want to exhort you guys to never become lazy and lethargic in your understanding, to continue to want to learn until the day you go home. See, we as Christians can be guilty of doing the same. Just not wanting to understand the gospel anymore. Let me just tell you a story about myself quickly. I didn't get saved till the age of 30. And I'm 50 now, so if you do the math, that's pretty easy. That's 20 years. But when I first got saved, I remember opening up the Word of God for the first time and reading the Word of God, and, and just the words were jumping off the page. It was like, man, this is so life-giving. This, is, this word is transforming me. It's living and active, right? And I remember being angry with God at one point, saying, Lord, how come nobody ever told me about this? How come no one ever told me about your word? It is absolutely transforming me. And I was angry with God, but then I just had this deep desire to continue to learn. I started reading Christian books, and I started um, just loving to sit under the preached word of God. Uh, I love trying to listen to God as I read and as I prayed and writing all of that stuff down. I just had this deep desire to continue to mature and move on to solid food in my faith. I just had this desire to do it. And God transformed me. And I became an elder after two and a half years. And that's like unheard of. Now let me pause for a second. In all honesty... When they asked me to come on the eldership, I feel like I was still too immature. And if I, know, if I knew then what I know now, I probably would have said no, just to be honest with you. There was still a lot of growth that needed to, to happen in my life. But still, I just had this deep desire and hunger to devour the word of God. 
And by the grace of God, I still have that. After 20 years, I love the word of God. I love this. The words still jump off the page to me. And I'm like, wow, Lord, last time I read that, I didn't see it that way. Wow, you're transforming me in a new way. You're moving me from one degree of glory to the next. Love the word of God. I still love to sit under the preached word. I love to read books. I love it. I love praying and hearing the word of God. And we don't ever just become too mature either. We don't ever just become too old where I, there's no, I no longer need to learn. I led Southlands Whittier for six years. I'm a pastor now for 16 years. I'm, a, I'm on eldership at, at uh, Southlands Brea. But you know what? I'm not too old or too mature to keep learning. I'm actually in a two-year theology course with Marianne and my wife. I just have a deep desire to continuing to move from milk to solid food. How about you? How about you? Do you have a deep desire to move from milk to solid food? And if so, how do you plan on doing that? Well, I think the writer of Hebrews gives us an answer, and it's so crazy that Leslie talked about discernment because that's what the Word of God says here. He talks about discernment. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. That's discernment. How do we continue to mature? How do we continue to move from, um, from milk to solid food? It's through discernment, knowing the difference between what's good and what's evil. You guys tracking with me? Okay. Let me read one more passage that Paul says here, in, uh, that Paul um, wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says this, For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, you are, not, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? This is what Paul says to the church in Corinth. See, we need to understand and discern what is good and godly and what is worldly and evil. We need to be able to discern between the two. Discernment is absolutely critical in our lives. Why? Because life comes at us fast. Young kids, youth in here, life comes at you fast. You know what the experts say? Experts say that we make 35,000 decisions a day. Did you guys hear what I just said? We make 35,000 decisions a day, each one of us. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> and now all of those decisions aren't about good and evil, obviously, but you'd probably be shocked at how many of those decisions are about good and evil. Life comes at you fast. The enemy is trying to destroy us on all fronts. He's coming from us at all angles trying to destroy us, and we need to be able to discern is what is from the enemy and what is good. 35,000 decisions a day. We need to be quick on our feet, my friends, when it comes to discernment. And then we need to have confidence about what we've learned, about what is good and what is evil. How do you have that confidence? Here you go, right back to this. Again, the word of God. If you want to learn about good and evil, open this thing up. Stick your nose in here daily. You'll have discernment and you'll learn. We need to feed on a solid diet of the word of God. And if we do, we'll be able to exercise mature discernment between what is good and evil. So my exhortation to you, Southlands Chino, is this. Devour 
the solid meat of the word of God. Absolutely devour it. Don't be lazy in your learning. Don't be lazy in your understanding. As you mature, have confidence in your discernment between what is good and what is evil. What is godly and what is worldly. Be confident in your discernment. The Spirit will lead you, but you have to tuck yourself, your noses into the solid meat of the word. All right, so how else do we have, move on to maturity? Number two, we build on the foundations of Christ. We build on the foundations of Christ. You guys okay? Do I have time here? Let's go. All right, Hebrews 6, starting in verse 1, and we're going through to verse 8. Hebrews 6, 1 through verse 8. Therefore, moving from milk to solid food, therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. Verse 4, for it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of this coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and produces vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed and at the end will be burned. Okay, so now you know why I say Kelly punished me after reading Hebrews 6, 1 through 8. Albert Moeller, in one of the commentaries that I was reading on this, he says this about Hebrews 6, 1 and 8. Throughout the history of the church, Hebrews 6, 1 through 8 has been one of the most difficult passages to interpret. Throughout the history of the church, Hebrews 6, 1 through 8 has been one of the most difficult passages to interpret. Thank you, Kelly. Here you go, Kevin. Welcome to Chino. Preach Hebrews 6, 1 through 8. Yeah, I'm kidding. I'm just having fun with you guys. So right here, he just, he just now takes another full stop and gives a severe warning. He gives a severe warning um, in this passage that I just read, but we have to read the severe warning in the context of a larger argument. How many times now have you heard me talk about maturity through these passages? Twice now. So the larger uh, kind of context of, of what he's saying, the larger argument is this, is do not neglect this great salvation but instead move on to maturity. And I'll get to the meat of this in just a minute. That's where I'll get a little bit teachy, but the overarching picture of this is maturity, is moving on to maturity. And that's what I wanna keep drumming, in, drumming into you guys and, and hammering home, is that we're talking about maturity here. And so the, what the writer of Hebrews says is he says that the way we do that is to move away from the elementary teachings about Jesus and build on the foundation that's already been let, uh, laid. He says, just continue to build on that foundation. He's suggesting that they've already been taught, these Jewish Christians, the ABCs of the faith. You've been taught the ABCs of the faith. You've been taught the elementary teachings, which is the foundation. Now build upon it. That's what he's saying here in the first three verses. So, I mean, we all know, right, that if you build a house, what do you need to lay first before you build a house? 
you have to lay a foundation, right? So you lay the foundation to build the house and you put up the four walls and you continue to build. We don't lay a foundation and then stop building the house, right? If we lay a foundation and stop building the house and just sleep on the foundation, guess what? We're gonna be exposed to the elements of nature and to the dangers of this world, right? Could you imagine just sleeping on the foundation of your house just with nature bearing down on you? You're gonna be exposed. And so you have to continue to build upon that foundation. And that's what he's saying here. Just like building a house, continue to build upon that foundation so you're not exposed to the elements and exposed to the dangers of this world. The same is true for us as Christians, right? We can't just stop at these elementary teachings. They're the foundation for us, and we never leave these foundations, but we build upon them. And so I quickly want to go through the first three verses and, and spend some time on what these elementary teachings are or these foundational teachings are or what uh, Christians call the foundational doctrines of the faith. I want to I get through these first three verses quickly so I can get through verse four and verses four through eight, which is the one you guys are like, yeah, Kevin, get to that. So what are the foundational truths or doctrines about Christ? The first one is this, repentance from dead works and faith in God. That's what it says here. Repentance from dead works and faith in God. Now, obviously, we never move on from repentance, do we? We need to, keep, uh, we need to continue to repent or, or keep repenting so we can bear fruit. And so we never, remove, uh, we never move on from repentance. We, we repent of our sins. Why? So we can come back into fellowship with God, so we can come back in fellowship with the body. So we never leave repentance, and we obviously never leave faith in God. But we need, must build upon that. And so what he's doing here, remember who his audience is. It's Jewish Christians who have come out of the Jewish faith and into Christianity. So what he's saying, in order to go into maturity here, you must turn away from the dead works of the law. The dead works of the law cannot save you. Turn away from the dead works of the law, turn away from sin, turn away from self-righteousness, turn away from trying to save yourself. And instead, put your faith in God, the only one who can save you. That's what he's saying. That's the foundation of our faith, right? And, and faith always has to do with repentance. Faith must be joined with repentance. Salvation has always been about faith and repentance. Repent and believe, right? Faith and repentance. We're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, sola fide. We're saved by grace through faith alone. And so repent and believe. Foundational Christian stuff. Not the dead works of the law. The law can't save us. Only Jesus Christ can. That's what he's saying. The other two, ritual washings and laying on of hands. Now, ceremonial washings and the laying on of hands were very important to Jewish Christians. I mean, they took that stuff seriously. But for them to go on to maturity, these Jewish Christians, they needed to leave behind their confidence in those things, their confidence in ritual practices, they needed to leave behind their confidence of being washed by the law for purification. You're not washed by the law for purification. Only Jesus through his blood can purify you, right? They also needed to get away from the laying on of hands. For them, it was big like uh, for the, for the uh, rabbis to lay hands on them, to bless them, to, to you know, devote them to service. But also think about this in the Jewish culture. What did they do with their hands? They laid their hands on animals to be sacrificed for their sins. He's saying, no, no, no. 
There was only one true sacrifice for our sins. Hands didn't need to be laid on Jesus. He hung on the cross for you. We no longer have to lay hands on animals in order for atonement to be part of our life. Jesus was our sacrificial atoning, or our atoning sacrifice. He was the one who atoned for our sins. No longer do you need to lay hands on animals to have your sins atoned for. It's through Jesus Christ and him alone. Also, we see in the New Testament, laying on of hands is for the commissioning of, of us believers to co-labor with Jesus and the work that he's called us to do. So we lay on hands, not, not to just be blessed, but the laying on of hands is to commission us to co-labor with him, to co-labor with him and to continue to do the mission that he's called us to do. So he's saying, identify, not through the ritual washings, identify with Jesus through baptism. And the word here for washings is actually the word baptizo. Ritual baptism is basically what they're saying. And you're not purified through the law. Instead, you're identified with Christ as life, death, and resurrection through water baptism. Move away from those ritual washings and actually be baptized to identify with Christ. So ritual washings and laying on of hands. You guys good? All right. Number three, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, both of these doctrines were foundational in the Old Testament. So the Jewish Christians knew about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment from their scriptures. But in order to move on to maturity, they had to understand the New Testament doctrines about resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. It is a significant change for them. Why? Because in the middle of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment is Jesus Christ. And that's different from the Old Testament uh, things that they believed. What does it say? I mean, Jesus says this in John eleven twenty five: 25. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And what's he say about judgment? I just had the opportunity to do a, um, a memorial service last week, and I preached this passage. This is what G, uh, Paul says to the church in Corinth, that Jesus is the judge. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the resurrection of the dead, the dead eternal judgment, is different from the Old Testament passages. Why? Because it has Jesus at the center. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the one who sits on the judgment seat and will judge us one day. They needed to continue to build upon those, move away from your traditional teachings, and go back to Jesus Christ, and then build upon those foundations. So these six foundational truths or doctrines are what we should build upon. That's how we mature in Christ. We don't ever get away from these, guys. Take those first three verses, and then now continue to build your house upon them. Don't continue to lay on that old foundation. Build upon that. Build on those things. Let those be the foundation of your faith, and then build upon those. However, Here's the reality. Some people never mature because they never move past the elementary teachings of Jesus Christ. They stay stagnant. He's saying, no, mature, mature, move on from those. So why do people stay stagnant? Well, let's get to these next five verses. So these next five verses are the ones that, um, you know, the world has been debating over for thousands and thousands of years. So you may come from a perspective where you're like, 
okay, Kevin's saying this, and this is where he stands, and this is what he believes, but that's not necessarily what I've been taught or where I stand or what I believe. So I just want to say that this, I'm going to let you know where I stand in regards to these next five verses, and then we'll go from there. Okay? You guys okay with that? So it's easy. He's writing to the Hebrews here, and he's saying, it's easy to identify a pagan convert, right? It's easy to identify a pagan convert's apostasy. You guys know what apostasy means? It just means like an abandonment of belief, right? That you have abandoned your belief. Because for a pagan convert to abandon their belief, it's easy to identify because they just go back into the world looking like the rest of the world. What he's saying here is that for the Jewish converts, for those who, who, uh, for their apostasy, it's not as easy to identify because they just slip back into their old faith without any anyone really knowing. And so what it looks like is they're still religious and they're still still spiritual, but they've walked away. They've left the foundational doctrines of Christ. And it's hard for people to uh, to actually, actually recognize that. And so that's why he's writing this warning. So the writer of Hebrews here is warning uh, the Jewish Christians. He's calling them to move on to maturity and not back to their old way of living, back to the Jewish culture, back to the religious beliefs, back to the law. He's, he's saying, you know, remain here in Christ. And if they fall away, he says, it's impossible for them to come back. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just preaching the word of God. So this is a warning to them, and this is a warning to us to continue to move forward in your faith, to continue to make progress in your faith. But what does this passage mean? Does it mean we could lose our salvation? That's the $64,000 question, right? That's like, preacher, get to that. That's what I want to know. Can you lose your salvation? Well, there are three ways that this passage has been understood, and I'm going to tell you those three ways. You ready? First is hypothetical. The first uh, view of this, these five verses is that this passage refers to a hypothetical situation that never existed and therefore, it's warning us against a sin that's impossible to commit. Now, for me, like, I don't think this is hypothetical because if this sin of re-crucifying Christ all over again, if this sin of falling away is impossible to commit, why even mention it? I mean, why mention it? Why put it in the word of God? I, so I don't necessarily believe the hypothetical point of view, although some people do. I know a guy who went to Talbot who wrote a paper on this, and his conclusion was that he came down to the hypothetical view. I just don't believe it. Why would you put it in the Bible? This is impossible to do this sin, but let me tell you about it anyway. Makes no sense to me, but that's me. The second train of thought is that it's actual. Another view says that those who fall away are actually Christians, that they're Christians, that they are people who have been saved by God's grace, but have made a calculated and conscious, conscience, conscious decision, I got it, to walk away from the faith and in turn lose their salvation. Those who believe this believe that we are saved by God's grace, but their ultimate perseverance depends on the cooperation of their own free will. The only way you'll get to heaven is if you persevere long enough according to your own free will. Therefore, any Christian is capable of losing their salvation. I absolutely do not believe that, just so you know. 
Why do I not believe that? Let me tell you why. If you have been supernaturally, by God's grace, regenerated, why would God unregenerate you? If you, supernaturally, by God's grace, have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, why would he unseal you? If you, supernaturally, by God's grace, have been born again, why would he make you unborn again? Doesn't make sense to me. Regeneration. Being born again. Being sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. But here's the one that actually settles in my heart most. And it's adoption. The doctrine of adoption. So let me explain to you the doctrine of adoption. Uh, Gospel says that we've been adopted into God's family and we share in the inheritance of Christ. And I don't know if Kelly's ever preached on this or if you guys have ever heard this, but the, the doctrine of adoption is incredibly important in ancient Middle Eastern culture. Let me tell you why. Because adoption in Middle Eastern culture, according to the law, is this. If you adopt a child in Middle Eastern culture, that child can never be left out of the father's inheritance. By law. By law. But a natural kid could. A natural kid could be left out of the father's inheritance, but by law, an adopted kid could never be left out of the father's inheritance. And so for me, the doctrine of adoption is the one that makes me feel like you can never lose your salvation. I can never be left out of the inheritance of Christ. Why? Because when I came to him, I've been adopted into his family. Let the doctrine of adoption settle into you today. Why? It's impossible for you to lose your inheritance in Christ because you've been adopted into that family. You cannot lose your salvation, my friends. You cannot lose that inheritance. You've been adopted. You've been sealed. You've been regenerated. You've been born again. Amen? And then the last one is that this is apparent, right? This is apparent. So the final view is this, is that those who fall away are not true believers. They were never saved to begin with. And that is where I stand, is that they were never saved to begin with. Maybe they appeared spiritual. Maybe they appeared like, man, they had this encounter with God. They had an emotional response to someone who preached the gospel and raised their hand or walked down onto the field at a Billy Graham crusade something like that, but they were never truly regenerated. The Holy Spirit never truly regenerated them, and they've fallen away. And because of that, they can never come to faith in Jesus. <laughs> Why do I believe that? I have three reasons. Number one, the parable of the so- soils, or the parable of the sower. You guys familiar with that parable out of Matthew 13? He talks about four kinds of soils. The first is hard soil, where people hear the gospel, and that seed lands on hard soil, and they just don't understand it. They just don't get it. The second is rocky soil, where people hear the gospel. They're overwhelmed with joy. They had this emotional experience, right? Overwhelmed with joy. Oh man, that is the good news. But it never takes root in their life. And it is short-lived. When stress or hard times come, they fall away. That's rocky soil. The third is thorny soil. People hear the gospel, but the worries of what's going on in the world, it chokes out the seed and it never produces fruit. And then the last is good soil. Everyone here, good soil. People hear the gospel, they understand it, and it produces much fruit in their life. So the writer of Hebrews, what I believe, is he's talking about rocky and thorny soil. 
The seed has uh, fallen on their hearts, have been overwhelmed with joy, whatever, but it has never taken root, and it's never produced gospel fruit. That's what he's talking about. Second thing I believe why he's talking about they were never saved is this. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Listen up. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Yikes, depart from me, you lawbreakers, or some translations say you evildoers. There are people who look like Christians. There are people who appear spiritual. And they do things in the name of Jesus. But they're never saved. That's what this says. Again, don't shoot the messenger. I'm reading the word of God to you. See, this is why. is because they're doing things according to their own will. <laughs> and they're doing things for their own glory. And they're not doing things for the will of the Father. And they're not doing things for his glory. And so because of that, away from me. I never knew you. They look spiritual. They look saved. They had an experience. But they were never regenerated. Third reason I believe this is because I have personally witnessed it in my life. I don't know about you, but I've witnessed people who have responded emotionally to a call, to an altar call or whatever it is, and maybe they got plugged into community. Maybe they even shared in the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit was doing in community. And maybe they stuck around for a while and got plugged into a life group and all of those things. But when trouble came, they just walked away. I've never seen them again. And they're not growing. They're not maturing. They're not producing fruit. The third reason I believe this is because I've seen it with my own two eyes. I've seen people just walk away from the faith. They're never regenerated. They never had a desire to mature. Okay? That's what I believe this passage is talking about. These, these people were never saved to begin with. Beloved, you cannot lose your salvation. Just go back to adoption. Just let that settle in your hearts. You cannot lose your salvation. Glory to Jesus. Glory to God. The last is this. How do we continue to move on to maturity? Is that we persevere with the assurance of hope. We persevere with the assurance of hope. And I'm going to just land by, by reading a few verses over you. Um, but I just want to say this, that true saints will persevere until the end with the assurance of what's to come. True saints will persevere to the end with an assurance of what's to come. We as saints, those of us who are truly saved, those of us who have been regenerated, we'll continue to mature. We'll continue to produce gospel fruit and we'll continue to persevere until the end with full assurance of hope. See, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is important to us. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, it's so affirmed in God's word, so affirmed in God's word. And so this is what I wanna do, is I just wanna encourage you through the word of God as I land. Southlands Chino, dearly loved friends, God's beloved, I just wanna read this last passage, which is verse nine through 12, and then I wanna read some other passages of scripture over you. I want you to close your eyes as I read it and just settle in the fact that you will persevere to the end because that's God's promise to you. But this is what the final few verses say in chapter six. 
Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends. He, he's calling them dearly loved friends. This is, these are Christians. These are his beloved. Dearly loved friends. In your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end so that you won't become lazy but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. Amen? Let me just read some passages over you, Southlands Chino. Close your eyes. Just listen. Let me read. Philippians 1 through 1 6 says this I am sure of this. I'm sure of this, Southlands Chino, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Romans 8 38 through 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded. Southlands Chino, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And beloved, let me end with this one. John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one, listen, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come before you as sons and daughters who have been adopted into your family. And what a beautiful truth it is that we get to share in your inheritance, Lord Jesus. And nothing can take that from us. And so, Lord, even with that truth settling into the depths of who we are, we pray, Lord Jesus, I pray for each and every one of the members here at Southlands Chino that you would just give them a deep desire to move from milk to solid food, that they would have this deep desire to to just want to mature in the faith, that they want to be made more and more into your image, Lord Jesus, through the process of sanctification. And so, Lord, I just pray that you give them a deep desire to tuck their nose into the word of God, the meat of your gospel, and be transformed. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, for this church, that they would build upon the foundations of their faith, that they wouldn't get caught up and, and stagnant on the elementary teachings, but they would continue to build on this firm foundation, which is you, Lord Jesus. And then I want to thank you, Lord, 
for this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, Lord God. I want to thank you, Lord, that no one is able to snatch us out of your hand. I want to thank you, Lord God, that, that the good work that you've started in us, you're faithful to bring it to completion, Lord God. You're faithful to have us as your saints, as your beloved, as your sons and daughters, persevere to the end with an assurance of hope of what's to come. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray that these truths settle deep within our hearts, not getting caught up in, in what this passage says, but actually the truth of who we are in you. Let that settle in who we are. And so, Lord, we, we continue to want to, to be more like you by the empowering of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.